Welcome to Theatrically Speaking, the very first playwriting podcast. My name is Jonah Knight. Season one is republishing the long-lost first episodes of the show from back in 2007. And season two begins the new episodes. Now, a few things have changed since 2007, like the website. For more information about Theatrically Speaking or my other podcasts, please visit actualstorypodcasting.com. Next, back in 2007, you could number your episodes however you like, and I did this very creative numbering system that included episodes 4.1, 4.15, 4.2, and no actual episode 4. The numbering that the episodes have in your feed is the order that you should listen to them. So, welcome in to the Theatrically Speaking Wayback Machine. It's time to talk some plays. I hate movies, I don't watch TV, I can't read books, and I don't take kids to the zoo. Video games are gonna rot your brain, and all these internets are for idiots. But I love you, baby, dear, but you ain't no Shakespeare. Try to make me to be high class, and I would take How you doing? My name is Jonah Knight, and you peoples, you have tuned into the right tube in all of the internets to check out the brand new episode of Theatrically Speaking, almost a playwriting podcast. This is episode 4.2 slash episode 1.15. I'll get to that in a little bit, but uh, the 4.2 is going to continue our series on talking about uh, criteria, different things about different length plays last time. Um, 4.1, we talked about short plays slash 10-minute plays. This time we're talking about one-act plays. Next time we'll be talking about full-length plays. But before we get into that, I do want a uh, couple of housekeeping things. Uh, last week I took a break because Lisa, wife, and I went off to Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, Madison is a very nice town if y'all have never been there. Um... Most of the downtown area is Wi-Fi, so that's cool. I dig it. Um, so I wanted to throw that out there. That's why there was no episode last time. Although I did release the theme song as a separate track because Tina requested it, and I thought, you know, what the heck, I can do that. That's cool. Um, and then uh, I also spent a little bit of time earlier today sort of going back to do a little bit of show notes. I don't really know what I'm doing with the show note thing. It was easy enough when I was doing them for like the three-point episodes where I was talking about formatting and submission guidelines. Um, so I just, there the the ones for the last two are kind of short because just like, um, well, if you listen to the thing, then there you go. But I, I put something out there because I, I should get me into the habit of doing that, I suppose. Um, and the other cool thing is I figured out how to turn the Wi-Fi on on my laptop so I can sit downstairs with the dogs and um, do blogging things instead of being upstairs on the tabletop. So perhaps that will help me out a little bit. Don't know. Don't know. Um, City of Frederick is still building a road, although it sounds like they have moved on up the street. So I've opened the window a little more because it's kind of warm out today. Though uh, I've not been hearing much in the way of construction noises. So um, you probably got nothing there. The neighbor did finish his driveway, so that's cool. 
Um, I've decided, since it is kind of hot and because it is kind of the summer, that I am going to do this episode without pants on because it's very warm. Uh, I don't know how that is going to affect the performance. It may, it may not, but I thought I'd throw that out there. And there is a good chance that for the rest of the summer I will continue to do this show without pants. Although I intend to not give you updates on that. So it's just something to wonder about, I guess. Um, I have uh, uh, two other quick things before I get into it. Uh, I got a very nice f- email from uh, from Trey. Trey is uh, building a website. He's got he's got it up there. You can check it out. Uh, BrassRingWriting.com. It is uh, it is sort of like the the bones of the thing now. But it it will be. It looks like it's going to be a very cool resource for uh, for playwrights. So um, check it out now. See what he's doing, uh, and then go back later and check it out again. Maybe bookmark it or something. That'll be cool. Another nice thing about Trey's email. This is kind of cool. Um, so he started off being very mad at me, and by the end of the email was very flattering. So I did want to compliment you, Trey on your character development in this email. Uh, it was very cool. And when I say mad, I mean, I, you know, he wasn't out to... I, I don't assume he's out to get me. Um, hmm, I should look into that. But uh, but that's cool. And uh, the other thing that Trey mentioned is that he had been thinking about doing a playwriting podcast himself. I've said a number of times that this is the only playwriting podcast in all of the internets. No matter which tubes you look down, you're only going to come back to this one. But... I don't think it should stay that way. Whether your name is Trey or whether your name is whatever, it happens to be, and you've been thinking about doing a playwriting podcast, I think you should. I totally think you should because the beautiful thing about writing in general is that we all have separate voices. If we're, if we're good at it and we've built ourselves up and we have some practice and some stuff under our belts, my point of view is going to be very different from your point of view and from everybody else's point of view. And if we get up and talk about the same thing, we're going to have different perspectives. For example, it looks like Trey's website has, uh, he is one of three people that are kind of uh, part of the focus of the thing, part of the, uh, the three people in the sort of founding community of BrassRingWriting.com. If those three people got together and did a podcast and it was three people talking, be a very different tone than this one, which is just me looking out the window talking without pants on. Um, Not that one is better than the other, but very different. So we can all cover the same topics. And I think that if any of you are interested in doing that kind of thing, um, you absolutely should. So this segues into a second little bit. Um, If you are thinking about doing a podcast, I and I know that Tina, uh, listener Tina, uh, and her husband Jeff had done one before, they stopped doing that one, regrouping, and now they're both about to, uh, they're working on pre-production now for new podcasts, and when I have information about that, release dates, and that kind of thing, I'll definitely share it with you, but um, I do recommend a, uh, a website, a company called Libsyn, uh, for hosting your podcast. Libsyn is, uh, is short for Liberated Syndication, that's L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. They are who I use. And I've had no trouble with them whatsoever. And since I've mentioned Libsyn, I'm going to talk about why I am combining 4.2 and episode 1.15 into a single um, into a single unit. 
My lips and account, and this is just for you who care, maybe you don't care, but I'm going to say it anyway. My lips and account is, uh, I I knew that when I was going to sign up for it, that I was probably going to be doing a weekly podcast. I wasn't going to be doing uh, a whole bunch, and I figured, you know, at most it might be a half an hour or so. So the account that I have allows me roughly two hours of podcasting per month. Um, So if I released... 4.2 4.2 followed by 1.15 it i want 1.15 is going to be very short um i don't know about very short maybe you know five minutes or something like that and i'm tacking it on the end and my thought was that if i went through the whole thing with uh um uh, doing it as a bonus episode with the theme song and trying to do filler and all that kind of thing i might hit over my two hours a month so that's why i'm sort of tacking it on at the end and i think that since the theme song there, and since I missed a week, I'm probably okay. But I'm just going to do it this way, just in case. Uh, Libsyn's very cool. Thinking about a podcast, uh, Libsyn.com. Recommend that. So that's very cool. Okay, um, so one act. We're going to talk about one act plays today. We're going to talk about what makes them a little bit different from short plays, from full-length plays, and that kind of thing. So um, let's just start with uh, a sort of a basic definition. What makes a play a one act as compared to short play, full length play? And again, uh, similar to the short play conversation, my definition might vary a little bit uh, with yours or with someone else's, but I think it's probably safe to say that a short play, no, that a one act play is going to be between 30 minutes and 75 minutes. So you can say, well, what about my 25-minute play? I think it's a one-act. Uh, maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe. Um, but I would I would doubt that your 90-minute play is a one-act play. I think that your 90-minute play is a full-length, and I think that probably your 80-minute play might also be a full-length, but we're going to get into more of that in a little while. But let's. So for the basis of this conversation, let's say 30-minute, 75-minute equals one-act play. Okay, and and we'll get back. I'm gonna. I have some definite thoughts on that, but we're gonna get to this uh, in a little bit. Um, so, subject-wise, you've got your one-act play. It might be 30 minutes long. Uh, are there any subjects or types of material that you should keep in mind? Uh, things that work particularly well in a one-act format, uh, as as compared to a short or a full length. I would say generally not. Uh, A one-act play and a full-length play can deal with essentially the same kind of material. So you can take a a weighty, meaty subject, like, uh, you know, whatever the... um, the the cause of the month is you know whatever the 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 ribbon that everyone is wearing this week is and you can write your your very moving powerful one act play about that i think you can i the the difference that i would say here is that if you're on the shorter side of a one act if you're around 30 minutes long you can definitely do something let's just say let's say you're writing the great uh the great abortion play and you're you're doing your 30 minute great abortion play. You can do that. You can do that. But what I would caution you to think about is that you may not have enough time and space within a one act play to fully resolve the issue. Now, not that doesn't mean you shouldn't resolve the story, the story of course, but perhaps 
but perhaps doubling the length of a one act, a two act, or a full length play might give you a little more space to fully explore and resolve a really meaty subject. But that doesn't mean that you can't write the great abortion play or whatever play you want to write. I think subject-wise, you can do that. Um, Yeah, so I I would say don't necessarily keep that in mind with your play. I would say, however, when it comes to theatricality, and by the way, um, theatricality was episode 1.1 and 1.2. If you've not listened to those, they are still my favorite uh, subjects that I've covered because I think they're things that people don't think about a whole lot. And uh, 1.15 is going to hit on that in a little bit. But theatricality for a one-act play. Here's what I would say. I would say that... The easy thing to do if you're writing a 30, 40, 50 minute play is to write it as a single scene. So it's the it's the dinner scene or it's the scene in the living room or at work or something like that. This is it, which which sort of lends itself to a, a more strict interpretation of realism. What I would encourage you to do is not fall into that trap with your one-act play. And I'm not saying don't set a play in the living room or something, but but trivia here, most common set for a play of any kind of play is a living room. So why would you want to set another play there? Living room? Well, it's not really a living room. Slash dining room? No. No, no, no. Uh, find something else. Find a new setting. And we'll, we'll get to that in a future episode. But I would resist the urge to make your one-act play a one-scene play. You've got 30 minutes, you've got 60 minutes, you've got a full hour and change here to write this story, this short play. Why anchor it into a single location? Give me a couple locations, Um, which doesn't necessarily mean, and we're talking about tech here as well, which I'm not talking about huge set changes, huge uh, tech requirements for your short play. It's still a short play, um, even though it's a one act, it's a one act is maybe you could say it's a long short play, but it's most likely not the only play of the evening, which is something you should keep in mind. So, um, so instead of saying this one act play is set in a living room, give me something else. Think about the theatricality. Think about how you can really break out of realism to tell this story. This is something that I do very much believe in, uh, and I think you should do it. This is a this is a one act play. It's not a long scene. A long scene, um, you can get away with that. But really interesting one act plays are going to move around. They're going to move location. They're going to move time. You're going to go through characters. You're really going to get me some some interesting meaty stuff here. At least you have that potential with this duration of story. So give me that. Don't just anchor me down and let me sit there and, you know, watch your family eat dinner for an hour because I don't care. I don't care about that. It might be they might be eating some really tasty stuff, but I don't care. Not theatrical. Give me some give me some stuff there. You can do that. You can do that. The other thing that I want to talk about in regards to the the one act play um because really there the, I don't see a heck of a lot of differences. Um certainly a short short plays, you know, your 10 minute plays have pretty different considerations than your full-length play. But because the one act straddles both, depending on duration, there aren't a... In my mind, there aren't a huge number of things that you should really keep in mind. But this is one of them. The market for one-act plays um, is, is significantly different 
than a short play and a full-length play. So we talked last time um, about short play festivals. There are a lot of short play festivals. Uh, if your play is like 20 minutes or less, it, chances are you can get that sucker produced if it's halfway decent. They're going on all over the place, everywhere from, you know, little community theaters are doing uh, short play festivals to Off-Broadway is doing short play festivals. So all kinds of levels there. Your one-act play is not as easy to get produced, which doesn't mean you should not write them. I have I have a one-act play that I'm very proud of, Not So Soft, I think I've mentioned that before, that I've had produced. It's very... It's very po- it's possible to do it, but it's not as easy. And that is something that you should keep in mind as you're writing the thing. It doesn't mean you shouldn't write it, but it means that you should acknowledge that the one-act play is going to be more difficult produ- to produce. This is particularly an issue when you're at the one-hour mark plus uh, give or take a little bit. So I'm going to say your 50-minute play to your 70, 75-minute play, as much as you can really be aware of these things, try not to have your play be between, like, 50 minutes and 75 minutes. There are certainly some good plays that fall into that, especially along the um, the uh, the longer end of that. Um, what's his name? Beckett, his play Endgame sort of falls into this range and it's a little uh, at the high end i think it's like 75 80 minutes and change something like that it's it's not common it's not uncommon to get a production of endgame that runs less than an hour and a half and that's partially because there's no intermission in that play and so so this isn't i'm going to talk about this play specifically a little bit um the thing with the thing with endgame and with plays that are like 75 80 minutes long is they fall into this weird realm because because most theater companies that want to produce a play of this length you, so you're you're a little you're over an hour you're under an hour and a half is people don't want to theater companies don't want to treat it as a one act play because then they have to find another play to do with it and if you find like a half hour to play to stick with it then you're close to 2 hours and then where do you st- yeah I guess you got to stick the intermission in front of Endgame because that's going to be really long, but then people are going to come in, they're going to sit down for 30 minutes, and then you're going to tell them, now go buy something and come back and watch the hour the hour and 20-minute play. It's, it's, it's awkward. It's, an awkward. it's awkward for the audience member. So then instead of doing that, they try to stretch it to a full-length play, and then the audience member comes in and usually pays full price for their ticket, and they and then they look down at their watch at an hour and twenty minutes, and they're like, "That's it. I paid my five hundred dollars for this nosebleed seat in the theater, and that's what you give me." It's not something that audiences are comfortable with. Uh, it's not. I mean, we have this whether it's arbitrary or not. We have this hour and a half mark in our mind. We're like, this thing should be at least ninety minutes long, and if it's coming in at an hour ten, hour twenty and you paid full price or even a little bit less for your ticket, you're probably not going to be too happy about that because we have this value system based on the duration of these stories. So so what do you do about that? I would say you either... So, so you have a really good draft of your play and it's coming in at an hour, 10, hour, 20 minutes. You do whatever you can to make that a 45-minute play, which means you chop out the crap, or you develop it and you make it an hour and a half, 
hour 40 minutes. As strongly as I can encourage you to do that, I do. Um, That is kind of nowhere, no man's land. It's it's hard to get the productions. It's hard for it to get seen. It's hard for it to get read. You can't really get it included with short play festivals. Most theater companies don't want to take a risk on it as a standalone item unless you're already a named writer or unless they have a named actor or director or something attached to it. It's just, it's asking for trouble. And I would encourage you to not do that. That is that is my thought with marketing those plays. Now, I want to talk about two um, one-act plays that I've had interaction with. The first was uh, one that New Playhouse produced uh, recently in our Frederick Shorts Short Play Festival. And it was a one-act play, a play called Disposition of the Mail by a local playwright named Bill Steo. Uh, and I want to mention this uh, for a couple of reasons. So the play was probably... The way the festival was structured was we had a bunch of 10-minute-ish plays in Act 1. Act 2 was 10-minute play plus this play, plus this one-act play. It was 30-something minutes long. So the thing with this play, and it was it was a fine play, uh, funny enough, uh, kind of historical. You got your goofy uh, accents going on, uh, a comedy, and, and that was cool. The, the trick with this play was the was us trying to produce a short play festival coming up with the um the the uh the stuff needed to produce this play disposition of the mail takes place in a, an an old uh, italian post office post world war 2 i believe if i remember correctly and at one point you know they're opening up this thing and there's all kinds of mail falling out and i think there were like 1 2 3 4 five named pieces of furniture in this play so the desk and the sorting area and the map and the bench and the cabinet and all this stuff and i mean we produced the play and we didn't it didn't have full-blown production values i mean we did we got the furniture and we did it but you know we because we're pulling on other short plays um we didn't paint the floor we didn't have walls you know there were curtains around it and that's fine because the context of the thing but the play really probably would have been served a little better if we had been able to build walls so keeping this in mind for your short play for your for your one act play because it's going to be produced next door to a number of other short plays or at least one or two others um be careful with your tech requirements uh, as well. I mean, we're still looking at the short play thing here, and I think there is overlap with these two genres in this uh, uh, in this subject. But watch out for your tech requirements in your in your one act play. I would say five pieces of named furniture is probably a little much. Um, and we did it because we had uh, some great tech people working on that show. Um, but it still didn't get the attention that it probably deserved. You know, we could have, because we had to build the uh, the mail sorting table slash box thing. And it looked like we built the thing. It didn't look really, you know, authentic and that sort of thing. And so there were some tech requirements because we had to do this for each play. You know, we, we needed all this tech for all these short plays. Um, it just didn't get the attention that it needed. So definitely keep that in mind as a factor as you're crafting your short slash one act play. Um, yeah. The other play I want to talk about 
is uh, is one that I directed as an undergraduate at the University of South Dakota, uh, a, a play that I love um, called Jesus of Suburbia by a guy named, uh, might mess up, I never actually met this guy, Douglas Antonoli, I believe his name was. I found this play published in an anthology of award-winning student plays back um, back as an undergrad. And I love this play. I was in this directing class, got to direct this one-act play for the one-act play festival. And I chose this play, and I went with it. And great play. Great, you know, hilarious um, crazy mom brought her son up to think that he's Jesus living out in the suburbs, um, trying to convince everyone that he's the second coming, but it's pretty obvious that mom's just a nut. Um, he convinces the, uh, the Jewish guy to be the next Pope. So the Pope's walking around, um, and it just hilarious, you know, okay, a little bit blasphemous perhaps, but, uh, but hilarious play. I love the play. Long, long play. Um, it was in an anthology of one acts, and I thought, oh, a one act. At this point, um, not really having a lot of experience with duration of plays, I picked this play. It was probably a full-length play, and, um, and was a little much. And I think that probably one of the reasons you have not heard of this play is because of the duration. Now, now I don't know, maybe the, the playwright, after he won this award and had it published, decided never to write anything else ever again. But... Um, but more likely, I think, is that because of the duration of this play, you're hardly ever going to see it uh, published or produced because I don't, I don't, and I don't think it was 90 minutes. I think it really did fall into this 70-something, 80-something minute quagmire. And luckily, the playwright, the, the teacher of the directing class didn't look too closely at the duration of this play um, and, and said, yeah, sure, go ahead, do it. And it was, it was the entire, I think it was the entire second act of the show. Um, but, um, so Jesus of Suburbia, if you ever come across that play by Douglas Antonoli, um, I definitely recommend you check it out though. Um, though I think it may be, it may be a tricky to find it, especially at this point, you know, more than, uh, 10 years, 10 years removed since, since then. Um, and, and again, watch the length of that one act play there. All right. Okay. That is the end of 4.2. 1.15. I hate movies, I don't watch TV, I can't read books, and I don't take kids to the zoo. Video games are gonna rot your brain, and all these internets are for idiots, but I love you, baby, dear. Alright, 1.15. I'm going back to the theatricality conversation for a little bit. This is a brief segment. And uh, and the reason I'm going back to this now is because on Lisa and I's recent trip to Wisconsin, we came across an IMAX movie theater. Um, so, talking about what works specifically, uh, storytelling techniques in each different type of storytelling genre, we did talk about cinema uh, back in 1.1, 1. 1. Uh, and I'm going to expand on that and tell you just a little bit about the IMAX experience. We saw Spider-Man 3 in IMAX in Madison, Wisconsin. And and I'll tell you what. There, there is an issue going on in cinema right now. And I do have to say that uh, contrary to what I say in the theme song, I'm a cinema fan. I like movies. Um, but there's an issue going on in the cinema community now because there are so many ways for people to get their stories. You can watch your movie on your iPod, you can watch your TV and get your podcasts and get all this stuff. 
fewer and fewer people going to the movie theater. They're raising prices to try to make more money. They're doing sequels and all this kind of stuff to try to bring people back. And, you know, mixed results there. But one of the things that they are trying, and this is an issue, especially if you listen to, uh, like, film podcasts, you'll get some pretty good discussion on this now and then, is that they're trying to find ways to make the cinema-going experience different from every other way you can get your your storytelling, you know, as compared to your iPod. So, so they're, they are now, they've been in the habit for a couple of years now, um, releasing plays now, uh, plays, releasing films now and again on IMAX, if there's an IMAX available. And they don't do it, you know, it's not a constant thing. They're not doing it all the time, but we are seeing it more and more often. This was the first time that we had, that Lisa and I had been in an area where they were doing a, uh, uh, a large release film on an IMAX, and we thought, well, I haven't seen that before. Let's go check it out. Here's what I thought. Hadn't seen Spider-Man 3 before. So, um, so it starts, and they got that THX, you know, sound thing, roller coaster thing going on before the movie starts. And I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, yeah, that's cool. I haven't seen that before. Total immersion. I'm in there. I'm with it. I dig it. I'm here with you movie starts and then the titles are going and the webs are flying and there's spider-man and there's mary jane and all these people running around you're like yeah this is pretty cool and i'll tell you what 15 minutes or so in forgot i was watching an imax um yeah i think so uh i think i think that the imax experience is probably best suited to large special effects movies and this is funny and i say this having spider-man 3 is a pretty big special effects movie but on the one hand it really is and on the one hand it isn't yeah uh, if you've not seen the film there's a lot of talk about how this one's more of a love story uh, uh like a half hour 45 minutes uh in a single chunk towards the middle of the film go by without seeing spider-man at all it's just peter parker walking around dancing in the street which is a little bit ridiculous i'll tell you that but um but it was not fully special effects all the way through i think that perhaps the new pirates movie might be a little bit more of a total immersion experience on an imax um i can say certainly that your uh romantic comedy probably not well suited for the imax uh, but I think it's a fine thing. I think it's a definitely a, a different experience than a regular cinema, if nothing else, because the way they have to slope the seats, you're not going to get people, you know, um, sitting on top of you. You're not going to have your, your view blocked because they really rake the audience. Um, and that's cool. Uh, and I think... I think if you do have an opportunity to go see an, a general release film in an IMAX, you should do it. You should do it even if it's like you don't give a crap about Spider-Man 3 and that's the only one around you. I think you should go see it because as a storyteller, as a writer, this is one of these things that I do think that we should all be thinking about. You should go to the IMAX because it is a different cinematic experience. And if you come out thinking, eh, then give it some more thought and say, say, you know, why was that eh? Why did that not do it for me? You come out and you think, ah, that was amazing. Then, you know, take that with you too. Why was it amazing? Why? And, and how can you as a playwright, as a writer for theater, take the lesson from that IMAX experience and translate it into your play? Because I think you can. I don't know exactly how yet. Um, 
not really sure, but um, but I think that I think there's I think there are things to be learned from it. Um, and if I come up with what those things that we learned from IMAX are, I will share them with you in the future. Cool. I told you it was going to be short. 1.15. That is the end. Thank you for tuning in to Theatrically Speaking. Uh, my name is Jonah Knight. You can check me out at uh, jonahofthesea.com. That is the main website. I'm doing some more stuff there. The show notes are going, you go to jonahofthesea.com, click on blog up top, and I'm sticking the show notes in the blog, so I got some stuff there. Don't have them up for this one yet. Maybe it will be there by the time you hear it, though. You can look for me on Facebook. You can look for me on MySpace. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can subscribe on Podcast Alley if you like. And if you are interested, go to iTunes or Podcast Alley and write me a little mini review. That's great. Email correspondence, Jonah at JonahOfTheSea.com. And I think that's about it. Thank you for listening. And I will talk at you later. David Bain.